Please be aware that this episode of Scary Science is one of our more true crime-oriented episodes. As such, there will be mention of murder, violence against women, sexual assault, and other disturbing content. Listener's discretion is advised. When you're looking up a fellow scientist or graduate student, you might see if you can't find them on social media, Twitter or Instagram, maybe even Facebook. You might take a peek at their LinkedIn profile, but more often than not, what you're really going to be looking for is their area of research and their publication history. For Yale University graduate student Annie Lay, there is almost no easily accessible record left regarding what her focus of study was. And as for her publication history, the only article that ever seems to be mentioned, couched in a painful irony, is the one she wrote for the Yale Medical School publication B Magazine, entitled Crime and Safety in New Haven. Why is this? because the promising future of Annie Lett as a doctor of pharmacology was erased with her murder in September 2009. Hi, I'm Denver, and welcome to Scary Science, an insomnious media production podcast where we examine the darker side of science. I'm here with my co-host, Hannah. Hi, everyone. Denver and I have a combined 15 years of scientific research experience. With this knowledge, we will discuss disasters, diseases, and dastardly data that is made for some scary science. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Annie Le and her horrible murder. But pause. We have an update. We have an update on a previous episode, dear listeners. Um, we previously did an uh, episode on Wyndham Latham and the murder of his boyfriend at the time, whose name is behind a block ad. Oh, Trenton Duranlow. Yes, Trenton James okay. Cornell Duranlow. I say Duranlow. That's I don't even know if that's right. But anyway, um, the former Northwestern professor Wyndham Latham gets 53 years uh, behind bars for the murder. So he's been sentenced. And then also uh, Andrew Warren of Oxford University, he was an Oxford University financial officer. He pled guilty in the murder um, and was also sentenced too. So that is the update on that episode. Very wild stuff. Yes. And um, there was a petition by Wyndham Latham's lawyer to have him like let out on a work release to work on studying um, the novel coronavirus. This was a little while ago. Um, that was denied. Yeah. Surprising and no one. Yeah. Apparently it was like some good citizen friend was going to like maintain observation of him and he was going to like save the world from coronavirus because he studied the plague. Yeah. Yersinia pestis. To flash back to that episode. Yeah. So that didn't work out so well. But um, I think it's probably pretty good that he's in jail and um, going to stay there. Yep. I agree. Now on to today's episode. Yes. So like we told you, um, today we're going to be talking about Annie Lay. Um, and... My main thing with this episode is I really want to focus a lot on her. Um, 
because this is scary science. And so when we're talking about the science aspect, she is the one who is doing science, um, not scary. There was nothing particularly scary. Well, I mean, parasitic wasps, we'll get into that. But she was doing good science, the kind that could have led to potentially life-saving medical treatments in the future. Um, or breakthroughs in, in her field of research. Yeah, because she was her PhD was in pharmacology, you know, and she was working really hard. And so she is the focus of the science aspect of this. And then the other reason is that when we're talking more about true crime, which this episode kind of is our true crime focused one because we're doing that um too often the focus is on the perpetrators the the people who have hurt someone else and i don't want to do that as much i mean we're going to talk about what happened and who's responsible and things like that um but i, I want to put as much focus on annie Lay as possible because she's the one who is important in this um she was the scientist. She was a person. So she, she's what really matters in this story. So if you do want a story that's the opposite of this story, go listen to the Wyndham Latham story. Correct. That's Hannah's yes. point. <laughs> or don't, you know, because <laughs> it's pretty gruesome. So diving right in. Annie Le was born on July 3rd, 1985, into a Vietnamese-American family in California. And from a young age, uh, it was pretty clear that she was brilliant um, and that she had an amazing aptitude for science. This is the kind of girl that growing up, I definitely would have been jealous of because um, I like to pretend I'm smart. Uh, secret, I'm not that smart. Annie was that smart. <laughs> So she showed a great aptitude for science. She was pretty much good at every subject in school. So she went to Union Mine High School in El Dorado, California, and she graduated valedictorian. And she earned about $160,000 in scholarship money. Huge. Huge. And we know that means a lot because... Oh, let's talk. Wait, wait, just pause, pause. This was like early 2000s. Okay. Because she and I were born in the same year. So she was graduating in like 2002, 2003 time period. That's a lot of money then. That's a lot of money then. That's a lot of money now. And colleges hate giving students money. It's literally their least favorite thing. They want students to give them money. They want the money. They don't want to give the money. So the fact that she got this much money really says something, especially considering that it was based on her academics. So also, can I just say, can we please cancel student debt? Can we cancel student loan debt? Thank oh, you. Oh, Lord have mercy. Wouldn't that be something? Anyway. Like the president <laughs> listens to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We don't know. He might. Hey, Joe. <laughs> So she was very well liked in high school and her classmates voted her most likely to be the next Einstein and best of the best too. I don't, yep. I, I don't know if that's what kind of superlative that is, but obviously it lives up to everything you've described her as in this brief introduction. Awesome. <laughs> in my high school, we didn't have things like that, like mo- voted 
most likely to succeed or something like that. They didn't let us do anything like that. I think because everybody would have been really, really mean about it. Oh, I was in the running for best hair. I know I'm not kept right now, but I was in the running for best hair and a guy with an Afro one, but he did have really cool hair. So it was fair. Okay. Second best hair. I know. I'm always the runner up, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Oh, well, after graduating from high school, Annie attended the University of Rochester in New York, where she majored in cell and developmental biology with a minor in medical anthropology. So probably not an easy program. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. No. Well, maybe it was for her. It wouldn't be. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Medical anthropology. That sounds intense. It does sound intense. And then after she graduated from the University of Rochester, she began a graduate program um, in pharmacology at Yale. So she was working to get her PhD. So that means that not only did, and, and this is at the time when we had standardized tests. So not only did she do all the standardized tests to get into college with the SAT or the ACT or what have you, and all the scholarship applications and applying for the colleges, but now she's graduated from Rochester and she is applying for the graduate program at Yale. Okay. So she had to do the GRE. She um, had to turn in all the applications, meet with the people, meet over phone or yeah. Cause we didn't have zoom then. Um, or in person. And, yeah, or in person. That's a thing um, people used to be able to do. Find a researcher that she was interested in, contact them, you know, all this stuff. So this she isn't was, just like, it can be summarized into a sentence, but it's a huge amount of work. And it is. Yale. So Ivy League, mm. Ivy League. Ivy League. And, you know, you were talking about standardized tests. This is something that's not entirely related, but a lot of standardized tests were actually designed in a time period when the United States was even more racist. Um, Uh So a lot of them are specifically designed to try to exclude Asian Americans. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. There are specific groups that are targeted by the testing to like make sure they do worse. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's a thing. Look it up. That's not our subject this episode. Anyway, so she got into this graduate program at Yale. And then my little personal side note is that I was looking at it. I was like, dang, she was so young when she got into this. Um, And I was wondering how she managed that. And I realized that she went from undergrad into a PhD because I forgot you don't actually have to do a master's degree in between. Yeah, I think the other thing that helped too was, um, I can't remember, did she do the internship at the NIH after college and before she did it in her undergrad during the summer? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, That was also pretty huge too. So yeah, talking about that, um, like I said before, it's difficult to find a lot of information about the research that she did. Um, and I couldn't find any of her scientific publications, which doesn't mean she didn't have any. Um, it's just, it's overwhelming how much the criminal aspect of this just kind of, 
yeah, pollutes, erased so much of the work that she did and makes it really hard to find out more about her. I mean, even saying that, like, it's not just like the clickbait articles, but it's also like, um, and I don't want to do any spoilers on this episode, but one of the things was like, um, probably like a TV show or something like that, which, um, it, it, uh, opportuna, it's an opportunist uh, for her situation in terms of like all the other events that were surrounding the time period when this happened. Yeah. Um, it, 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 they were able to make a TV show out of that and have a series of TV shows where it's like, um, a, a series theme, which we'll get into in a moment. Yeah. But, um, so what I did find was that during her undergrad at the university of Rochester, she worked doing research involving parasitic wasps that sounds badass um, it's uh, that sounds terrifying i'm wondering if it's like um probably gosh, the ones that lay the called? larva in their tarant in the spiders or is it a tarantula, it's a tarantula hawk yeah, yeah a tarantula that's... hawk wasp i'm like is that what it was because those things are huge and terrifying so if that's the case she was very brave because <laughs> those things those things are so big they're the size of your hand they're so scary <laughs> I don't know that's the only only that's the only parasitic wasp I know of are there other kinds I'm sure there are other kind wasps are ingenious and evil evolutionarily engineers (laughs) um she also did a summer program with the NIH which is the National Institutes of Health um hey Dr. Fauci He also listens to this. He and the president actually hang out and listen to this podcast together. Basically. Any president, actually. Uh, All of them. All of them. Even the dead Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, there he is. But her research at the NIH involved um, using mouse mesenchymal cells. So those are just multipotent stem cells, meaning they can, they're stem cells that can differentiate into different kinds of bone tissues so her studies was on engineering bone tissue i mean come on let's get i i didn't know about that in undergraduate are you kidding me no i I mean we learned about stem cells but like partying (laughs) (laughs) and then trying to make it to class on time and park and park yeah my undergraduate research was um dirt bacteria so that's cute i mean i did do i did do a summer it was the last semester I had to do like elective course to get credit so that I could graduate. And I studied uh, a transporter protein in chloroplasts. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't as cool as engineering bone tissues though. No, we're lame. <laughs> <laughs> and then her research at Yale, not a whole lot about it. I. I don't even think there was a mention of whose lab she was working in. Oh, um, yes. His name was uh, Rocky. I forget his last name, but his first name was Rocky, which I thought was cool. Oh, was it? Is it Tuan? Is that mm-hmm. who it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, the research she was doing there had potential um, to be applicable in the treatment of diabetes and certain cancers. So she was doing big stuff. Definitely. Big stuff. And every single time, like, 
like the diversity of her her range in science like in and again in these three sentences her little biography that we have here parasitic wasps engineering bone tissues from mouse mesenchymal cells and then pharmacology uh with applications in the treatment of diabetes and certain cancers like what (laughs) yep i'm like microbiology i learned about germs Yeah. So, I mean, all evidence points to the fact that she was going to be kick ass at whatever she did. For sure. For so, sure. But um, unfortunately, because people are awful, we won't ever get to know what kind of kick ass stuff she could have done. Um, because, like I said, she was murdered before she could finish any of this stuff and Denver if you want to take it from here and tell us what happened sure um so to start off with we're going to take some time and flash back to September 8th 2009 Lay left her apartment and headed to the Yale campus she went to Sterling Hall of Medicine where her office was located first and then at 10 a.m. headed to a different building on Amistad Street where her research lab was located. And in that building, there was an animal facility and research labs, et cetera. You know, a standard um, research building on like Med Center campus. Yeah. Uh, um, she left her purse, credit cards, cell phone and cash all in her office. And that was one of the things that was repeated over and over and over again in all the articles that uh, were reporting her murder is that when she left, she left all her belongings. So it wasn't like she didn't think she was coming back. Yeah, she was going to come back and get that stuff out of her office. And it wasn't like she was robbed or like an anonymous random crime. That was one of the, the pieces of evidence that she had left all her stuff in her office. So, uh, however, we know she took her Yale ID badge with her because she had to have that to get into the building. Uh, most buildings on um, with animal facilities or any research labs now um, have key card access to them to keep strangers out, um, especially if you're on a on a campus where you have a ton of different buildings. You know, people I'm always getting lost too on my on my campus. Uh, so if I don't have access to a building, that's probably good. So that's one less building I can get into. Um, But uh, we know that she had to have hers to get into um, the building on Amistad Street. And the other thing that they um, point out was that there were 75 closed circuit TV cameras surrounding this building. So that's like partially Yale being like super... (laughs) Vigil- <laughs> that's yeah. partially Yale being Yale um, super vigilant of what's coming in and what's coming out of this building because I'm sure they have millions and millions of dollars worth of grants research going on in this building and it can't just be like a sieve where everything just comes and goes wherever it wants to um, but of those cameras the CCTV footage showed Lay entering the building where her lab was located a little after 10 a.m. and never showed her coming out um, so I mean, nobody likes a police state, but in this situation, this was another important part of the evidence that was able to help solve the crime. 
um, at around 9 p.m. that night, one of her housemates called the police to report Lay missing. And she had uh, five housemates. Um, yeah. And as she had not returned from work that day, which, I mean, that's so good and vigilant of her housemate to be like, girl, you're not answering your phone. Where the hell are you? Right. Um, and at the same time, she must have been such a good researcher that she was always on time. She never was like, oh, I got, I'm going to be late to the dinner tonight because I've got more work to do. Like they were like, she's supposed to be home by now. She's such a good time manager that she's got all her experiments done. That yeah. was never me. No, me either. I was always like, sorry, I'm going to be two hours late. I've got to finish this experiment. Yeah. I mean, there were times where people would get um, the text message alerts, like the crime alerts from our old campus. Mm -hmm. where they would say like something just happened on this street stay away and like it would be two o'clock in the morning and my friends would get an alert that that something had happened around the building where we worked and they would text me like are you there are you okay were you attacked I was like um yes I'm here yes I'm okay no it wasn't me I don't know what happened (laughs) I don't look out the windows I live in darkness (laughs) go away (laughs) but another huge important thing in the evidence is that now we have a time frame. So we have between 10 AM and 9 PM mm-hmm. and we have the closed circuit, uh, television camera and then her roommate. Um, good so roommate. She, right. Yeah. Good and, roommate. Oh my gosh. Um, but, uh, she must've been incre- incredibly reliable. Like we were stressing with the, um, the timing if her, if her housemate was like, where, where, where's Annie at? Um, if it was, you know, 12 hours and she's just like, she's not home. Um, after that, uh, she ended up being reported or she was, uh, missing for five days. And of course, as we've discussed earlier, there was an entire media frenzy. Um, and this part that I'm about to describe, I think is the, like reading this, it was, it was the story about how she was engaged and Mm -hmm. the timing that really got me. And I think that's what got everyone. But the the other thing too, is that we were the same age. That was also a little striking. Um, However, on September 13th, 2009, uh, the day she was supposed to get married to her fiance, her body was found in a cable chase, which is like um, a little, almost like a fuse box. So it's a, a hole in the wall with a door where there are cables to access if, if there's any repairs that need to be done in the wall of the basement laboratory of the Amistad Street building. So that is where the annual facility is. Yeah. So that's the building that she went in. We saw the camera footage of her going in and then never came out again. They were also found blood in a ceiling tile. Um, near a few days the, before yeah in the by the cable chase um so that was the two uh, that was what led to the, the cable chase i think um autopsy revealed that she had died from traumatic asphyxiation due to compression of her trachea so she was strangled and it also appeared that she had been sexually assaulted okay so who did it uh, Raymond Clark III was arrested on September 17th, um, and he had, um, oh, so pause. So the thing is, with this building, 
only people that have badge access are permitted to enter. They yeah. have 75 cameras again, just to repeat that number is crazy, but 75 cameras in and around this building, observing everybody coming and going. We have a timeline. 10 a.m. is when Annie enters the building and she never leaves and she's reported missing by her housemate at 9 p.m. So now we have a time window to observe the building on the CCTV footage and uh, question people entering and leaving the building. Um, Raymond was asked to submit a DNA sample and that is what ended up linking him to the crime as well as the fact that he had bat the badge needed to enter the basement lab because he was uh, an animal technician. He was charged with murder and sexual assault. So like I said, he was an animal technician of the basement lab where they housed the tests, uh, uh, the tested animals. Um, and earlier that day he had texted Lay that he needed to meet up with her to talk about the cleanliness of the mouse cages in the basement lab. Um, so, with that, some facilities, um, the technician will keep it like this is the confusing part. So, like, was it that I don't even know how to unpack that because there's like dishwasher systems and autoclaves and everything that man like maintain and clean and sterilize the mouse cages. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that. Annie, uh, of course, this is a while ago, but I don't know that Annie would have been doing that. And if she would have, she would have probably had to like, cause that costs money for extra services and stuff like that. So, I mean, well, this is my suspicious to me. Understanding of this situation is that he was an animal technician, but he was also in charge of like the custodial duties okay. involved with the animal lab. Um, and based on, you know, secondhand accounts of people who had worked with him professionally is that he was extremely particular mm -hmm. about the cleanliness and the order and how everything is left. Um, and apparently he had in previous instances talked to Annie and other researchers because the other researchers, PhD students, grad students have to get in and out of there. And would have to be, you know, grabbing mice or whatever other animals, you know, that they're using. Um, and he had previously kind of gone off on people for leaving it in a bit of a state. After they had finished what they were doing and like walked away. Right. So I've never worked directly in an animal lab, but I mean, I know we had our sort of central media lab mm -hmm. in grad school and there was our technician who if you like left a striker in the wrong place she would tear your head off right so right. so I wonder if it's a that kind of a situation and so he was like texting her to chew her out to be like oh you left like I don't know the little mouse pellets on the floor or something not pellets as in poop but you know what they put in the cage the bedding and i think that, like that um since i'm not a psychopath i would have just followed the chain of command but raymond clark the third had other ideas yes 
unfortunately. Um, in March 2011, he pled guilty to murder and entered an Alford plea regarding the sexual assault charges. And what an Alford plea is, is it's, in a guilty, it's a guilty plea that does not admit to the facts, but concedes that there is sufficiency of the evidence. So that means that basically um, what you're saying isn't the truth, but you already know that there's enough evidence that it's true. Yeah. So um, if any of you are like true crime people and you've heard of the case of the West Memphis Three, the Alford plea is the plea they took in order to be released from prison, the West Memphis Three. So it's basically saying, I'm pleading guilty while maintaining my innocence. I'm not saying I did this, but I'm saying you have enough evidence to prove I did it. So in this case, it probably means he did it. I mean, he pled guilty to the murder without any, you know, reservations. So, I mean, it seems likely that he did the, this sexual assault as well. And he, left um, a, he gave a DNA sample to the authorities too. Yeah. Um, in terms of the West Memphis Three, it was basically like their hands were tied by the Arkansas state government um, that if they didn't want to be basically left in prison for their entire lives for a crime they didn't commit, they had to plead guilty to it in order to be let out because the Arkansas state government didn't want to look for who actually did it. That's neither here nor there. That's another thing you can look up. It makes me very upset. Anyway, were, an Alfred plea is crazy. Yeah, it's like a loop-de-loop in terms yeah. of are you guilty or innocent? Yeah. So he admits to the murder. He did plea. So there was like a lot of delays in terms of like evidence getting to lawyers on time. So that pushed the trial. There was a pre-trial. It got pushed. It got pushed because if you recall, I said March 2011 and this happened mm -hmm. September 2009. Um, he did end up entering a guilty plea for the murder of Annie Lay with the condition of his sentence being 44 years in prison. Um but he maintains his innocence regarding the sexual assault. Um, his release date is September 16th, 2053. If the world will even be here then, who can say? Um, the, the craziest thing about this whole damn story, the craziest thing is why did he do it? We don't know. He's never said there was no reason, there was no motive. Um, like Hannah was saying, some people who worked with him or knew him in a professional sense say that he was a huge control freak, freak, um, and was insanely particular about the cleanliness of the animal laboratory. Um, so, so when he was texting her about needing to meet with her that day, was it a setup? Like, did he have this planned and he was trying to lure her into a meeting so he could murder her or was this just like a quote unquote crime of passion? Did he really just intend to talk with her? And then it just escalated because he was so particular about this, that it like, 
I'm really particular about cleanliness too, but I don't think I would kill somebody over it. Let's also pause and put it into Annie's perspective. She was planning her wedding. Her body was discovered on the day she was supposed to get married. Uh, Girl was probably thinking about other, even if she was like, even if she did leave a mouse cage. Okay. Can we give her the space to be like, you're planning a wedding. You're sending out invites. You're finding a cake flavor you like. You're making sure that your fiance has got his tux and all his groomsmen got their tuxes and stuff because we're not trying to deal with all that groomsmen. And this Raymond Clark. So, yeah, we just don't know what motivated him to do this. And you bring up a very valid point in terms of she was five days away from getting married and she was still going to work. And doing her stuff. I wouldn't be. I would have taken like three weeks vacation. and been like, peace. I need to get I ready. I need wedding. to get married. And then I need to go on a honeymoon because I'm going to need a vacation from this vacation. <laughs> but she was still doing all the hard work. And, and he did this. And we just don't know why. And we never is, will, possibly. Unless he decides to talk but even then you can't really take the word of a murderer yeah so so this is a completely different scary science episode yes um frustrated science (laughs) just because frustrated Mm -hmm. because she she had such a bright future and she just wasn't allowed to have it yeah and it's don't be like that yeah don't be an awful person i understand like that again not a psychopath (laughs) that's the problem i have with trying to reason this through is that like y'all you're gonna go kill somebody i mean like her fiance her housemates her research her research colleagues, her mom and dad, like, why you gotta buddy's day life? Oh, we don't we don't swear on this show. I'll bleep it out. Okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna make a note. But yeah, it's just it's tragic, it's unfair, it's awful. And then on top of that, the media frenzy just wiped out so much of the focus on her like everyone wanted to know where she was and then everyone was devastated when it was discovered that she had been murdered but it just felt like it was so much sensation and not actually a whole lot of focus on her or her work or or any real aspect it was just they just kind of put her as a victim. Yeah. And like the TV how show sad was, the end. The TV show I was referring to was a wedding and a murder. A That's wedding so and a murder. It's, it's and so trash. So, so we just wanted to, you know, take this episode to, yes, talk about the crime, but also to focus on Annie and the work she did and you know, everything that 
would have been possible for her if this hadn't happened. And her um, illustrious career that she put in the effort for. Yeah, she was working so propel hard. herself forward. So, um, and then last thing, just because of, you know, this episode in particular and, you know, kind of the state of the world today, this is 2022. Um, in case you're listening to this at a later date, uh, the world has been in a pandemic for a hot minute now. <laughs> But we just wanted to mention that we don't know that this crime was racially motivated because, again, he hasn't said his motivation for this. But we can't rule out that that might have been a factor in Raymond Clark III's murder of Annie Lay. Um, Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to draw attention to that, especially considering that in today's environment um asian hate and anti-asian racism is really prevalent we just wanted our listeners to be conscious of this and also wanted to encourage you to donate to organizations designed to spread awareness of this and help prevent acts of anti-asian racism such as stop aapihate.org and just remember to stand up for any marginalized members of your community please I'm also going to put that link in the show notes too. So anybody listening, I don't know if it gets pushed. I think it does get pushed everywhere, but it'll definitely be on SoundCloud and possibly wherever you're listening to um, the pod. And then also related to that today, the day we're recording, I'm not sure when this will be released, but the day we're recording this is the one year anniversary of, of an anti-Asian hate crime that took place in Atlanta last year. Um, where a, a man just went into a, a massage parlor. Like several massage parlors. And and murdered Asian women. And it was racially motivated. They can try to say it wasn't, but that it was. Yeah. Uh, I think that was pretty obvious from the fact when he was like, um, they're challenging my sexuality or something like that. It was sexually yeah. revolving around fetishizing asian women yeah so we just wanted to you know because of this episode and and what's going on we just want to draw attention to the fact that that's happening and we can all work together to help prevent it so keep that in mind this is a very sad episode it's scary science um but that doesn't mean we have to just cower that's Work right. Together. We got this. Stand up, protest, fight hate, and punch Nazis. And punch Nazis. Yes. Beautiful. So I think that wraps up this episode. Um, do you have any more thoughts about this, Denver? Anything else you want to throw I out think, there? I think I made it clear uh, that I was... I, my heart swelled with this story, obviously, because I had to drop an F-bomb on our... <laughs> on our not swearing one. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm just full of emotions. I'm full of uh, uh, the, the, in the, all the different facets of the story. And it's not just Annie, but it's like her family members, her fiance, the fact that she was discovered on her wedding day. I mean, it just, oh, it makes it, ooh, it makes me riled up yeah gets my blood pressure going what about you hannah i mean just the same 
you know, it's so upsetting with all of the timing um, and just just the unfairness of it all. So, yeah. Ugh. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we didn't bum you out too much. Yeah, another sad, scary science. <laughs> if you want to find us, um, you're not going to be able to hop on PubMed and search because you don't have our full names. But <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scary Science Pod. Or you can drop us a note, a question, or a comment, or even a suggestion for another episode via email at scarysciencepod at gmail.com. Wasn't there an episode where I spelled it out too? Or was that the other one? I don't remember. Probably both. Um, We hope you join us next time. Uh, We hope that Joe Biden cancels student debt. And um, next time when science gets scary. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Scary Science. Scary Science is not approved by the FDA to diagnose or treat any illness. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Insomnius Media Productions. All rights reserved. No reproduction of this podcast is permitted without the consent of Insomnius Media Productions.